You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rant. My name is Carlos Perone and today I am going to delve into an area of filmmaking that we have not fully explored yet. We kind of tippy-toed around it a little bit but what I'm talking about is art films specifically with a movie I just watched called Mandy and I'll be telling you all about that film but I'll also be telling you a little bit more about the world of art films and how to kind of categorize them and how are they different than regular films that you might have seen and whether or not a film you know which you have to figure out on your own obviously is a good film or a bad film because when art films it's a little more difficult to tell what you're dealing with so let's get started with our review of mandy and art films What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will 
not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That horn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. Today I want to explore an area of filmmaking that I kind of just scratched the surface here and there, but not specifically focused on it directly. And by that I'm talking about art films, experimental films, new wave films, you know, stuff that's really a little bit out there. And... When you watch art films, films that are not exactly your straight, you know, pop culture-y kind of normal films, there's a fine line between an art film and a dumpster fire, basically. Because sometimes, you know, when people try to create something artistic, now, what is the definition of artistic? What qualifies as an art film? Who the hell knows? It's so subjective that... You can't really put your finger on it. But just like they say about pornography, you can't really describe pornography, but you know when you see it. An art film is similar to that. I can't tell you exactly what an art film is, but sometimes there are these films that they look so different and different things are happening and everything is different and unusual and the pacing feels wrong. It feels strange. Things look different. You see things that normally you won't see. Many times you feel very, very uncomfortable watching these type of films or these sort of sequences in a film. And there have been contemporary filmmakers, I would suggest, that kind of ride the line. Filmmakers that every now and then they veer into an artsy kind of environment. And a good example would be uh, probably the, I would say the best known one would be somebody like Stanley Kubrick. We talked about him before where you're watching this film and aspects of the film are very normal, but then things turn weird and strange and there's something off about everything you're watching. So that is one possibility of how people might experience or kind of gateway themselves into the realm of of an artsy kind of film. The particular film that I was recently watching that kind of led me down this particular rabbit hole is called Mandy. It's a 2018 film directed by Panos Kosmatos. Now, when I first heard that name, Panos Kosmatos, I'm like, that is a very unusual name. Especially that last name sounds very familiar to me. And If you look around a little bit, you go to IMDb or Wikipedia and you start to look at his name. The reason I'm familiar with his name is because his father was the director of Rambo First Blood Part 2 and Cobra and Tombstone. So we're going back to the 80s here in terms of, wow, this guy is this guy's son. And he just made a movie last year called Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage, that got somewhat of a buzz going around it, as it being a different kind of movie. (laughs) Uh, Not a family movie, that's for sure. So I've been kind of waiting for this movie to come out on DVD or Blu-ray so I could, uh, you know, watch it. 
I wasn't going to go see it in the theater because I, I honestly tell the truth, I don't even think that movie, there's no way in hell that this movie would have been playing in the area that I'm in. A movie like Suspiria, that remake that was made last year also of that horror film, it was supposed to come to my area, but it didn't. Don't know why. You know, there are all kinds of weird movies that show up here, but this isn't the town for that kind of movie. <laughs> If you're in New York or in L.A., you know, or a, a real metropolitan area, uh, I would say maybe even Orlando, you might be able to catch these kind of movies. But here, this is a very conservative, uh, repressive, more or less kind of area. <laughs> so this movie or anything like this, I would imagine, would have people picketing the theater <laughs> if they got anywhere near it. But anyway... So I wanted to see this film and, and, you know, I was waiting for it and I was waiting for it and I kind of forgot about it for a while. And I'm, you know, the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh yeah, this movie will eventually come up, you know, it'll eventually show up on Netflix. So the other day, I don't know, two weeks ago, I received a movie called Beyond the Black Rainbow. And I could not remember why I had ordered this movie, you know, in my Netflix queue. And this is something that I used to do a long time ago, back when I used to regularly visit the Ain't It Cool website. Uh, what they would do is uh, the different, I guess the different reviewers, or even Harry Knowles himself, before he basically self-destructed and, and the, the website kind of <laughs> took a giant hit for his, his problems, they would have a monthly DVD or home video recommendation section. And not only would they recommend and kind of review... Your typical films that come out, your very popular films, whether it's a Disney film or a Star Wars film or, or a Marvel, DC, whatever, you know, they, they would do the regular stuff. But then they would also do some very, like, old classics, you know, black and white classics. And they would do some weird, weird, weird films that I've never heard about that kind of would bring me back to, you know, my old college days of, of hanging out with people and exploring these weird films, whether they're horror or sci-fi or, you know, all the weird stuff, genre stuff that is kind of like in the uh, in the basement of, of most of the genre material that we're into right now. Obviously, you know, we go for the big stuff. We always go for the, the blockbustery, you know, we, we have our, our top tier people. But then there's a, a B tier and a C tier and <laughs> you can go... You know, take that elevator ride all the way to the bottom of some real weird, weird, crazy stuff. And that website would sometimes dip into that. So this is exactly the type of movie that would have been recommended, you know, if they continued that practice. Because they stopped doing it. They stopped doing this, this video recommendation section, which I really miss. I wish I could find another a website that could recommend unusual, crazy films like that. But anyway, so I received this film, and I could not remember why the hell I had ordered it. I couldn't pinpoint why I had ordered this film or how I had heard about it. I could not make any heads or tails. So I watched it. And it was different. It was super artsy, almost like a like a drug experience, if you will, in terms of how trippy, weird, the imagery is so strange, the manner in which the story is being told, the pacing of the story, the things that happen, it was just out there. And it's one of these films that, you know, you, you go into it, 
thinking, okay, I have a background, a little bit of a background, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself, you know, like a, an art house snob or anything, but through my limited film viewing, I, I do have a small archive of films that I've seen, which I'll talk about some of them today, that kind of fall in that realm. So I do have a point of reference in terms of, okay, I understand how this kind of might work. Don't get me wrong. Once you go down the art house or art scene or art whatever, whatever it is, whether it's film or whatever, there's going to be a million people that are a million times more knowledgeable and they will tell you how knowledgeable they are. That that is definitely one of the staples of of artsy kind of crowds. They are they're not uh, very modest about their knowledge or their perceived knowledge. So, okay, I'm watching this film and I cannot make heads or tails of almost anything that's going on. There's a story being told about some woman that seems to be imprisoned in some kind of a laboratory and there's a scientist performing these experiments on her and she seems to have these mind powers and she's trying to escape and he has this weird relationship with his family and and other science it again i cannot make heads or tails of this movie all the way to the end there are things in the movie which i didn't understand later on i watch a couple of reviews of the movie on youtube and some people are saying oh well see this whole movie is a dream that somebody's having because these things are not real and it's all perceived i'm like whoa holy crap how did you get i mean it's one of those movies but what i was able to extract from the movie was that visually it looks like they had a very small budget to make this movie and visually they created something very good you know the, the the cinematography in this film was very good considering possibly what the small budget that they had the imagery is really interesting the framing of the shots the colors they do some real weird weird stuff it looked like an amazing student film if you will you know back when 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 you had <laughs> i'm sure they still make student films but it looked like something that this was some kind of imagery and things that were inside somebody's head and they were just dying to get it out on film in this case digital film or digital digital <laughs> whatever the hell drives memory whatever the hell it is that it works nowadays nobody shoots film so it, it it's one of these films that it's like it's really not a good film overall but there is some good stuff in there. It's like a diamond in the rough. The overall structure is a mess, but there are some really interesting good things about it. You know, I, I, I would love to see what this person does next, okay? So that is how I later realized that I got connected to this film that I had actually put it was because this other film, Mandy, that I just watched, the director, his first film was Beyond the Black Rainbow. So, okay, which it kind of scared me a little bit in a way because I was like, oh, wait a minute, uh, that's the same guy? Because, you know, I was expecting, you know, I, I want to like these films, you know, of course. I, you want to you like every film you, you watch. You're not going into a film purposely wanting to trash a film. But 
because there was so much hype about Mandy, I was hoping that I would see something, you know, in the earlier films. So, for example, you if you for, if you for example jump into, uh, let's say, a Tarantino film, and you jump into it at at Pulp Fiction, okay. And you're like, whoa, Pulp Fiction was awesome. You know, let's look at his earlier films. Or even if you don't see Pulp Fiction, you're like, you know what? Before Pulp Fiction, I'm going to go watch Reservoir Dogs. In my particular case, and I think in a lot of people's particular cases that like Tarantino, Pulp Fiction is a very good film. It feels a little small. Again, budget-wise, it feels it almost feels like a play to me when I watch it. But it's a smaller scope of a film. But it has all the traditional Tarantino elements, the witty dialogue, the characters, the staging, the scenes. It looks like a Tarantino film. Let's put it that way. And with Pulp Fiction, it was like, oh, my God, now he has actual money to work with. He has a bigger roster of actors. He's firing in all, you know, on all full cylinders here. You know, because I was disappointed with the first film. But I did notice a couple of good, interesting things. I then became a little hesitant, and I'm like, oh, this is what it's about. That's what this movie was. So last week, or earlier this week, I received Mandy. And man, I was a little scared of watching it, because I'm like, oh man, is this going to disappoint me again? Now the film, obviously he has a bigger budget here. You know, not super incredible, fantastic, you know, out of this world budget, but a bigger budget. He has a Nicolas Cage as the star. And this is one of the things they kept saying was that, you know, given Nicolas Cage's reputation in terms of his acting style and the crazy, crazy roles that he plays. I mean, you could probably say that 75% of the movies he makes these days, most people don't even get a chance to see because they're... I don't know. They, they go straight to video. They go straight to streaming services. They go straight to cable. I don't know where the hell they go. But I don't honestly think they actually make it to a movie theater. But his name's everywhere. The man works like a maniac. He's nonstop. And every now and then he makes something half decent. You know, it's rare for him these days to... to he's not a hit machine. So for him to be attached to this film... You know, it kind of gives the film a little more credibility, if you will, but it still doesn't guarantee anything because he is kind of like, he's just a, a nonstop working actor. But anyway, the movie is about a couple, him and his, I'm not sure if his girlfriend or wife, I forget exactly. Uh, he's like a, a lumberjack and she is, I don't even remember what the hell she does. I think, I don't know if she stays at home or whatever the hell it is that she does, but she kind of is a writer and an artist and she likes to read. <laughs> I know this sounds bad, but the film is about what happens when she encounters, you know, walking along the, the, the forest, if you will, a weird sect of kind of like a Charles Manson kind of sect, weird bunch of people that are into some heavy, heavy drugs and religious iconography. And they're like a cult uh, and they're, 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 they're psychotic. And they end up kidnapping her with the aid of these weird, like death biker gang. And, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but the movie is basically a revenge drama, you know, somewhere in the middle where... Nicolas Cage, who had also been uh, abducted, breaks free and comes back for revenge for what happened, you know, to him. There's a number of scenes in the movie where we go back to her 
the girlfriend wife, Mandy, that's the, the girl's name. And the scenes are portrayed as animation, cartoon animation. And it's very trippy, otherworldly fantasy, really weird, weird stuff. You know, because I guess, you know, she is kind of artsy. So it's kind of, again, this is where we get, where we start to fall down the rabbit hole. But the things that Nicolas Cage's characters goes through, his name is Red, I believe. He goes through in order to accomplish his mission, let's say. It's really, really wild. It is hard R material. There are certain scenes in this movie where you're like, what the hell am I watching? I got to a scene, and you know, let me put it this way, in case you guys watch this movie, I got to a certain point in the scene, yeah, I don't know, it's about a third into it, let's say, where the bad guy is doing something, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but the bad guy is doing something, and I had to stop it because my wife was nearby, and I'm like, if she sees this, she's going to just freak out, so I stopped the movie, and then... Unfortunately, you know, in order for me to pick up the movie again on a couple a day later or two days later, it was always on that scene. And it was like, oh my God, how can I start a movie in this scene? <laughs> it was one of those kind of movies. The weird thing about the movie, and again, the weird thing about the movie, huh, I, you could repeat that phrase every five minutes, is that, for example, this biker gang, they are almost like supernatural. They're almost like monsters and you are given an explanation of why they're so weird you know from another character that, that talks to to red about bill duke out of all people bill duke talks to red about you know what this biker gang that they use as as muscle i guess or they they help these bad guys but you you get to the point where these guys are like monsters they're they're just not even human and because of the weird iconography that takes place in the film and and this otherworldly things that look around in the film, you start to think about, are we even dealing in reality? The film takes place in 1983, similar to Beyond the Black Rainbow that takes place in 1983. The look, you know, again, it's it's a retro kind of looking thing, but it's not like pop culture retro. It's not like Stranger Things, where it's full of pop culture 80s stuff. No, it has some subtle 80s stuff, but it's more about the music and the feel. Nicolas Cage is just insane in this movie. He gets to just go completely mental in certain scenes. And when I'm finish watching it it's one of these films where you want to watch more about the film you want to hear somebody explain to you more about the film there is some stuff afterwards in the bonus uh, sections but it's not very direct it's more like um audio interviews while they're showing you behind the scenes photos and pictures i think i like this film <laughs> and i know how weird that sounds this is one of those films that you almost need to hear other people's point of view. At least that's how I like to do it sometimes. I like to hear other people's point of views to see if I miss something or, you know, if if my feelings are similar to other people's feelings about how they felt after they were done. And yeah, this is one of those films that you need to hear more or you almost need to watch it a second time to get a better impression of it. I think I kind of like this film. It is not as out there in my opinion as the first film the beyond the black rainbow it's a little more cohesive uh, the story is a little easier to understand you're still being given some weird imagery but 
it is easier to follow and to kind of see the beginning and the end of the film, what the story being told was. And I don't think, even though I do have a slight doubt by the time we get to the end, that this is a straight story. There is no twist that all of a sudden we're looking at this the wrong way. Like I said, a few people who have reviewed Beyond the Black Rainbow tell me that at the end of the film, if you really pay close attention to certain items, to certain things, this whole film is not really real. This is somebody's uh, hallucination, let's say, of something that's going on. I don't think this is what's happening on Mandy. I could be wrong because the last shot of the movie really kind of threw me a little bit for a loop. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are we talking about this or are we talking about that? You know, it's one of those kind of things. Now, don't get me wrong. I am certain that a big intent of this film is to keep you confused and wondering about what what is real. And that is not necessarily a bad thing for this kind of film. You know, when, when you're talking about a straight film, you know, a straight narrative, a straight normal film, you don't want to be guessing too much. You could pull the little tricks here or there, the, the M. Night Shyamalan twist endings, you know, that's acceptable, but it all has to make sense. But when you're dealing with art films or experimental films, the idea of having to be dealing with something like that is not necessarily something that is as unacceptable as if it was a regular film. So overall, I would say that Mandy is a good film, and I'm really curious to see what will this director do next. The behind-the-scenes stuff in the DVD also gives you a, an insight into Elijah Wood was also one of the producers of the film, and he was one of the ones that was championing Beyond the Black Rainbow to entice other people into getting into this film and to participating in it. So it's really interesting, you know, that the, the, you know, the people involved in, in making it. But... Where do you categorize this film? You know, like I said, it's not a straight film. What this film will do is is kind of, if you're into it, if you enjoy this sort of thing, it could open the doors to this other world of movie making that's out there. That is, I would say it's more adult in terms of definitely not for children. I would say you should at least be 17 or 18 years old if you're going to start watching this kind of stuff. Obviously, this is an R-rated film, very violent, certain scenes, very disturbing images. A lot of these films, it's either violence or sexual nature in terms of what you're dealing with that is really extreme. It's really the type of stuff you're not used to seeing in a film. You know, different parts of the world have different standards for what is acceptable. Like, for example, I believe in, in England, they're a little more open about sexual content but they're a little more repressed having to do with violence. So it's it's a game that, you know, different countries play in terms of what their norms are. But if you kind of want to go down this route, there are many, many films and filmmakers. Like I mentioned before, somebody like uh, Stanley Kubrick. Okay, Stanley Kubrick, you're going to notice some things that are different about him. They're different about the way he does his thing the way that he did his films, the way that he stages scenes, the way things look, the pacing. There's a Stanley Kubrick feel to it. That, if you then jump to some of these other films, you might start to see stuff like that. So you take, for example, and I'm going to just kind of randomly go in, in, in some different directions here, but a movie like Natural Born Killers. This is a movie, it's an Oliver Stone film. 
and it's probably one of his weirdest films. I'm not going to say it goes so off the rails, but compared to his other films, this is a movie that did some very different things visually. And the content of the movie is really, it's not that attractive. It's a very dark subject, which... Again, if you want to examine that film in itself, uh, you know, the, what is the purpose of the film? What is the story, the meaning of the film? Uh, it has to do a lot with the television culture and the reality culture, which, again, we've reached a high point now in reality because, like I mentioned many times before, reality television now has permeated into everyday events, including politics. And you could say that he was kind of telling us that back then, even though it wasn't a political film, really, it was more about, a you know, the self-obsessed mentality, you know, of mass consumer consumption and how we will look the other way to such atrocities as violence and crime just as long as we're entertained. Again, we're getting deep into the movie itself, but that's not the point. The point is that this is a film that experimented with visuals that were very different. And at the time, he was kind of working his way to that. He had just done JFK, I believe, where he kind of dabbled a little bit in different film stock, different film grain, you know, with different scenes and flashbacks. But with Natural Born Killers, he went haywire. He shot certain scenes on completely an unrealistic manner, which was very jarring at the time because, you know, you're used to a certain level of filmmaking of realism, 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 and now you get hit with what could be considered surrealism. Things that are not realistic looking, but they're leaving this impression, this, this burned-in impression in your mind of a certain scene or a certain memory that's being replayed, but it looks completely unrealistic on purpose and that's the thing it's done on purpose because he's trying to evoke a feeling out of you that normally you wouldn't possibly have gotten if it was a straight film so there's a director that kind of dabbled with it a little bit the best probably example i would say somebody like david lynch now granted i have not seen every david lynch film i have never seen eraserhead and from what i understand eraserhead is probably the best example of this crazy artsy thing uh, you know that we're talking about right now but still, you take a movie like Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive, and you definitely have this example. Twin Peaks, my God, Twin Peaks goes back and forth, back and forth between these two worlds of realism and complete, utter, you know, insanity. He was able to do that, and he, he had continued to do that in, in the majority of his more popular films, to be able to tell you a story that every now and then would make a left turn into this other world of storytelling that is hard to understand at times and you have to kind of try to understand where he's taking you and then he kind of puts you back on the tracks and then you're off the tracks and you're on the you know so this is a director that does a lot of that and he became famous because of that that was his thing his shtick if you will he didn't just live in one world he kind of lived on both worlds which I guess that's, you know, that that's something, you know, it, it's a way of, 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 of making a career. <laughs> you know, you want the mass audience because traditionally, you know, art films, uh, anything like that, low budget stuff, it's very small, doesn't really make a lot of money. It, it, sometimes it's a stepping stone to something else. But here it's a little different. Here, you know, you're dealing with directors that are able to kind of 
ride the line. Another director, I think, that is like that or was like that, like Abel Ferrer. I remember a few of his films, but his biggest one, uh, the one that I, I, I saw, I think it was during college, was one called Bad Lieutenant, starring Harvey Keitel. Again, you're talking about a straight film that veers into some really, really dark, dark territories. It basically catapulted Harvey Keitel's career, you know, between that... Uh, Reservoir Dogs, The Piano, Pulp Fiction, and and Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant was a big, <laughs> important film for him. You're being told the story of a cop that's really, really awful. He's a terrible person, and he's trying to redeem himself based on a certain thing that happened and how he's just self-destructing along the way. But you have these scenes in this movie where any other director you know, who's trying to tell a stray story would have stopped at a certain point. But here, they push that over the line into some very uh, violent or or sexually charged scenes where it shocks you, you know, what happens in these scenes. They're supposed to kind of push you over the edge, you know, when it comes to the storytelling part. And it works. Uh, you know, on one hand, you're, you're watching a very noir type of crime drama, and then it tips over. It pushes, pushes really, really hard to the point where, again, this is where some people might say, that's enough. I'm done with this movie. I can't watch any more of it. And, and stuff like that has happened before, where there are people that just get to a certain point in a movie where you just can't take any more of it. And it, you know, it could have, it's happened to me. There were certain movies that I was like hoping they would just end because I just couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) Again, not in terms of how bad a movie is, but in terms of how graphic it could get. Another director that kind of dabbles in this whole art thing is Nicholas Windig Renf. I'm sure I just butchered his name. Here's a really interesting director who's done some really wild, different kind of movies. My favorite one is Drive with Ryan Gosling. The visuals are just amazing uh, in this movie. Uh, but he, he does have this thing where, yeah, there are certain points where you get to a violent scene where they go way, way over. But that's part of his aesthetic, I guess. Uh, that's part of his, his style. He did Valhalla Rising, uh, another very violent film. But those are, at least these are films that are, I hate to say this, but a little easier to understand, a little easier to follow. He's done some other films where he kind of just, in my opinion, just goes way out there in terms of experimental, in terms of, you know, being able to show you this imagery that just overtakes everything. I mean, they look beautiful, the, the shots that he does and the... The camera work and the lighting, all that stuff looks beautiful. But then the story gets so muddled and confusing. You know, is it possible that the artsy side gets too much and there's not enough of the, uh, I guess, commercial or pop culture kind of understandable side of, of, of storytelling? It's possible. You never know. But he's one that really, really, again, every now and then he does some fantastic work. He has, a, I think, a Prime series coming out. You know, some kind of crime-related story, but it's a you know it's a series. It's an it's you know episodes, 
I mean, I, I don't understand how he can maintain that kind of energy episode after episode. I'm definitely interested in watching. The thing is that if you start exploring these kind of films, you're going to find yourself literally going down a rabbit hole. All you really have to do is go to Google and just type disturbing art films. And you'll get a whole realm of different lists that people have compiled. And you're going to start to see some names in common, some films that are they're going to pop up in the same lists. The horror genre uh, has a lot of this. The crime genre has a lot of this. Uh, there's a movie called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. There's a lot of movies based on, on murderers or serial killers. But Henry is a particularly disturbing one. It stars Michael Rooker, a pretty well-known actor these days. Uh, but it was one of his earlier roles, I guess, or fledgling roles. And it, it it's a kind of like a you're following this particular character through his psychosis. And again, there are certain scenes in the movie where you're like, oh, wow, we just crossed over something new that just doesn't feel good. feels very uncomfortable. There's an older movie called Cannibal Holocaust, which sounds like a horrible B-movie, which it is kind of like a horrible B-movie. But the big thing about this film, it's, it's an Italian director back in, I think, in the late 70s or early, early 80s. I'm not entirely sure. But this was one of the most uh, revered, if you will, of the horror films that that go way over in terms of the depiction of the murders taking place, killings taking place. It's, again, you are, there have been so many other, I don't want to, well, I guess you can call them imitators or people that pay homage to this film in very small ways because it's one of those things where, again, I remember, you know, when I used to read Starlog magazine and you had its companion or its sister magazine, Fangoria, and every one and then you would have, you know, a picture of a movie and, and you would be like, what is this about? And it always gave you this, I mean, again, I'm, I'm like a teenager at this point. It gave you this, this feel of this is another world. This is a whole other world that you're not involved in. You like your Star Wars movies and your Star Treks and you like your, your, your safe you know, Western kind of film. And, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about Western in terms of, you know, cowboys and Indians. I'm talking about uh, Western filmmaking in terms of happy endings. You have movies that are told in a certain manner, you have certain acts, and then usually the plot gets resolved at the end. And usually there's a happy ending where the good guy wins. Usually. There are movies, of course, that are kind of like a bummer. And, and, and at the end, the guy, the good guy doesn't win. However, this is something more of a, I guess you can call it a, a, a European influence, you know, uh, French and Italian and German and, you know, a lot of European films that brought this whole darkness into filmmaking that things are just not pretty. They're not always pretty and, and bright and happy. So, yeah, it was, it was this other world of, of horror films that existed out there. Uh, a lot of it was foreign. A lot of it, again, Italia. Italians had a lot of stuff like that. You, again, you take a movie like Suspiria, Suspiria with the Argento, uh, the director. There's other directors. There's a ton of Italian directors that have their own kind of genre of horror that it is much more gory and violent 
Uh, so yeah, that's that's one of them. I, I, I again, I couldn't throw this movie in the artsy side because there's really nothing artsy about it. This is more of the 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 gore horror slasher, not even slasher really, just the shocking horror you know kind of genre. But like I mentioned before, a lot of them are are crime related. You take a movie like Irreversible, it's a, a French movie, uh, which stars a couple of pretty well known French actors, which is a very innovative movie in a way because it's being told in reverse as to what happens to a particular woman, something that happens to her that's horrible. But they tell you the movie backwards, and there is a certain scene. Again, there's a number of oh my god, there's so many. There's two major catastrophic scenes in the film that. You just cannot, you cannot even imagine how they shot these things. You can't even imagine somebody reading the script and saying, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And then doing it and then performing it. And you know, this is not like a one take thing. These people have to do this a number of times. It is just, uh, you, you, you feel exhausted. You feel beaten watching this. Uh, that's another one. You know, again, if you're going down the rabbit hole, uh, another movie that might be a little more familiar is Requiem for a Dream by Aronofsky. You know, pretty well-known director. He did, I think his last movie might have been Mother, which we've talked about here before, too. Yeah, this was one of his first bigger films. You know, he, he kind of started out small, but this was one of his first bigger, bigger films. Jared Leto's in it, uh, Jennifer Connelly. I, I'm amazed at the fact that, that that especially Jennifer Connelly recovered from this movie in terms of she did get a career out of Hollywood, and she still kind of works. But there's a scene in this. I mean, the movie is about drug addiction, okay? And with Jared Leto, there's certain things that happen to him because of his drug addiction that is just horrific to, to watch. But with her, she does something. There's a scene. It's an infamous scene. It's sexual in nature. And again, it's the type of scene that when you think about it, you're like, wow, how does an actor recover from this? How do, how do people say, I mean, I guess if it's artsy enough, you could say, yeah, I want to work with this person. But you figure, you're reading, again, you're reading the script and you're like, yeah. And then you have a scene where, you know, she hits the bottom of the barrel when there's drugs and she does this on camera. Granted, it's simulated, but... Wow, you're like holy moly! It, it's it's one of these films again that they 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 ride this line, they take you to the edge, and then they cross that line into this other world where you're like, wow, I don't know if I can finish this. But I would say the the most probably controversial film of all of them is one I recently watched, and it's it's one that's been on. A lot of these lists as the number one most controversial, shocking, uh, disturbing film ever made. It's, again, I think, again, I'm, I'm thinking it's either the late 60s or the early 70s. A director, an Italian director. Uh, this is a film that's part of the Criterion collection of, you know, film archives, you know, important films, if you will. Called Salo or 120 Days of Sodom. Okay. <sighs> This is definitely a film, out of all of the ones that I've talked to before, that I mentioned before, that I almost couldn't finish. I could, I almost could not finish. And it's the film that I kept saying to myself, oh my God, this thing better end soon. Just, just, it's, it's kind of like, put me out of my misery and put these characters out of their misery. 
on one hand, and and I and I know that there's the 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 intent of the film because I've 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 watched some of the documentaries and I watched some of the interviews. And, and some of the reviews that the director was a very artsy di- Italian director and he was trying to make a point about fascism and consumerism, how those two things can go hand in hand and go completely haywire. The film takes place around World War II in a, in a secluded area, uh, in a luxury estate with these rich people that are able to kidnap a whole bunch of young men and women and force them to do these unbelievable violent and sexual and disgusting things. Let's put it that way. A lot of it is shown on camera. Granted, again, you're dealing with, you know, reenactments, if you will. It's acting. It's not real. But my God, (laughs) You are not going to be able to get through this. I, 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 I don't blame anybody for not being able to get through it. And that is where, you know, we go back to this whole thing of, of art film or dumpster fire. As much as I'll try to kind of expand my, my horizons and my mind and my tolerance of ideas, it is really difficult to kind of wrap my arms around what is this director doing and saying i understand the message but my god it is being driven with a sledgehammer it is just a, a relentless uh, assault on the viewer and and this is one way of kind of trying to figure out because you see a lot of times like i mentioned earlier not a lot of people consider themselves to be fans of art films. And, and when you're dealing with art and when you're jumping into that subject, you know, I automatically always default to I'm not an expert at this. Uh, I am just a bystander. I might have a little more exposure than your average person because I purposely looked for it and I've explored it. And every now and then, you know, I do hit these films. You know, I just watch Mandy and I... I'm pretty sure I liked it. A lot of these films, that's the other thing. It's like you you just don't know how to feel. You just don't understand how to feel because you don't feel you have enough information. Sometimes they hit you, boom, straight on. A movie like Drive, I was a fan of that movie the second I saw it. And I was like, there is no explanation needed here. I, Whatever this was, I like. But then there are films that you need a little, a little push sometimes. And that little push will guide you in one direction or the other direction because yes a lot of times you know especially with an art film you might not understand it you might not have gotten it you know whatever it is the director's trying to tell you because sometimes they're being so vague again on purpose because this is the realm where you're allowed to be vague you're allowed to you put an idea out there and and it's so the audience can react in different manners i mean is that a cop-out is is there do you have an obligation to present a cohesive story to your audience on a normal film you have more of an obligation to do that on an art film you don't but can you go too far can you just light the dumpster on fire and say it's art there's a crap in the corner of the room that's art and then you got people going, well, wait a minute, I think that is art. You know, it's like, yeah, with, 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 with art films, you know, just like any art, there is that possibility that, that it is just so out there that nobody really understands and nobody really wants to admit that, no, this is just crap. 
And there are a lot of those kind of films out there. They, I mean, you got to remember, not everybody is an artist and not everybody can produce an artistic piece, but they're going to try. And and I don't blame them. I, you know, I encourage it. You, unless you try, you're not going to succeed in making these kind of films. And not everybody hits a home run. Let's put it that way. But like I mentioned before, do your Google searches. Find out what these movies are. If there are certain themes you don't like, you don't like the horror side, then steer closer to maybe the uh, the dramatics or or or, or the crime. Uh, you know, there's stuff like that out there. There's stuff that's just nuts. I mean, it, it's insane. But this is not for kids. No way in hell. This is definitely, you know, uh, 18 and over crowd. This is the NC-17. And not NC, you know, not X-rated. Because, again, we're talking, there's a difference here. There's a difference, but it gets very close. That line gets very close to something that goes over the line and something that is adult artistic. A lot of these directors, you know, they're, they're, they're still out there. They're working. Um, every now and then one will pop up. You know, this one who did Mandy, this guy who just did Mandy. Yeah, I mean, again, his first film, as far as I'm concerned, was a bit of a of a miss. But there was enough stuff in there that you're like, well, you know what? Give him another chance. Give him a little more money. Let's see what he can do. And, and as far as I'm concerned, it worked. I am interested in to see what he does next. And if that's what it's all about, that's what it's all about. But there are a lot of other films out there. A lot of these films we talked about, there are a couple of directors with a track record. Some of these directors are just like one-hit wonders, if you will, and if you can even consider those a hit. But they, there are certain films that have made a, an impact on the viewer. And you might have different reactions to it. That's the thing. You, you never know how these films will affect you. You know, when, when you're exploring film, you know, from a more like a from a cinematic educational experience you know you are going to want to explore the genres you know there was a point where i was exploring the westerns you know the the classic westerns the spaghetti westerns specifically spaghetti west so i, I kind of dove into that for a while you know then i was looking for something you know horror okay dove into horror you know oh okay uh hong kong films you know john woo films all that kind of hong kong cinema i dove over there and then there was a period where i kind of dove into these films trying to find, you know, what was that all about? So yeah, there's a lot of different doors that you can open, you know, in the in the genre world. Just be careful because some of these doors are very nasty and disturbing. All right, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We took a look at the world of art films. Specifically, we reviewed Mandy, the latest uh, Nicolas Cage film. Crazy, crazy film. We went in many different directions because we wanted to kind of see how different directors, some names you might already know, and some names you might be completely unfamiliar with. And some of the highlights, which could be considered lowlights, of past, you know, prominent artsy kind of films, and how you have to kind of figure out on your own, you know, if you're dealing with something fantastic or something that's, you know, dumpster fire territory uh, it's very very subjective but hopefully we we've given you a little bit just a taste of what's out there you know that you might be curious to explore further so on behalf of everybody here thanks for listening and we'll see you here soon at geekfest rants bye-bye everybody
I drive for you, you give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Dad, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. My husband's coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? Get your money. His debt's paid. You never go near his family again. Ah! Did you have any idea there'd be a second car? He said there'd be another car to hold us up. Whose money do I have? I'm gonna tell you something. Anybody finds out we're both dead. That's why this driver's gotta go, Bernie. He's gotta go. you have or plans for your future I think you're gonna have to put that on hold for the rest of your life you're gonna be looking over your shoulder if you would like to subscribe to our show send us messages or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2019. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>